Hi there, my name is Ushin Lunny and this is Audio Talks, presented to you by Harman. And this episode, we're going to explore the overlap between music and well-being and ask, is the world ready for medical grade music? I'm thrilled to be joined today by two genuine pioneers and experts in the field. Afrik Lennon, who is the Senior Account Manager, Research Strategist and Music and Mind Specialist at our friends Massive Music. Welcome, Afrik. Hello. Hi, Ashin. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Tom Middleton, who is a sound designer, a guru of the Calm app, composer, neuroscience and psychology of music researcher, consultant and co-chairman for the health group at the Association of Electronic Music. Welcome, Tom. Hello, hello. Nice to be here with you, Ashin and Afrik. Awesome to have you here, Tom. As mentioned before we started recording, I've been a fan of your remixes for many, many, many years. I still listen to them, so it's great to have you both here. Thanks to you, Tom. We have had our Tony Robbins breath espressos and we are ready to rock. Now, I'm a huge believer in the power of music to transform, to improve our lives, our moods, and even how we see ourselves and our place in the world. And this overlap between music and well-being is something that people are keenly aware of in these quite challenging modern times. In fact, last year, Harman commissioned a survey to explore the importance of music for Make Music Day. And they found that 80% of people feel that music has the ability to directly affect their mood. And 84% of respondents turn to music as a way to uplift themselves when they're feeling down. So it would be great to hear about both your journeys so far and how and when did you first become aware of the link between music and well-being? And we'll start with your good self, Afrik. Great. Thanks, Oshin. I've always been, I guess, in some way aware of, you know, the power of music and the power of music to kind of improve our well-being, improve our mental health. But I guess the kind of moment when I really started to kind of delve into the area in a lot more detail was probably during my initial degree, which was in human health and disease. I studied in Dublin at Trinity College and I specialised in my final year in neuroscience research and, you know, grew up, of course, loving music, being surrounded by music. A lot of my family play music and I myself play the violin, sing, I'm singing in choirs, playing in orchestras. And of course, I was heavily involved with various bands and then in college got really into electronic music. So it was always a huge passion of mine. During my final year of university, when I started to kind of really delve into neuroscience, I became really fascinated by the power of music to really go beyond the everyday experience of emotion. And I actually read a book by Oliver Sacks called Music Ophelia. I think my dad gave it to me, actually. Oliver Sacks recounts stories of people who had survived different kind of medical traumas and following that have had really profound musical experiences. And reading that book kind of really helped me to start making the connections between the world of science and the world of music. And it helped me to understand a little bit more about how that connection comes to life. And that actually led me to apply for a master's in London at Goldsmiths, an MSc in music, mind and brain. And that was obviously where I really started to become obsessed by yeah, the psychology of music and sound and the power of music to improve our well-being. So quite a long-winded answer there, Roisin. Hopefully that gives you a bit of background. 
Yeah, totally. That was really fascinating. And uh, I would like to just mention to the listeners that in fine Irish fashion, it turns out that our fathers not only know each other, but have worked together on some music. <laughs> a lovely thing that we discovered since being introduced. And Tom, talk to us about your own journey so far. I mean, I'm very familiar with your work as a musician and as a sleep consultant, and you do all these interesting things connected with this overlap between music and well-being. What's your journey been like? And when did you first become aware of this link between music and well-being? Thank you, Oshin. If I rewind, first musical memory was pretty profound. It was my dad playing me a record by Isao Tomito, a Japanese composer, who reproduced cover versions, if you like, of classical music, but played with synthesizers. And I remember sitting in the stereo suite spot in the front room. He put the record on and these sounds just took me somewhere. And I've always kind of thought about that first moment, that first kind of engagement. During my kind of school days, I remember being thoroughly excited by the one synthesizer in the music room and going to the local music stores and really upsetting the staff by putting <laughs> headphones on and playing Simmons electronic drums and twiddling on synthesizers. So really kind of curious about the world of synthetic music and how you could create these amazing imaginary worlds with sound. Moving forward, went to do design and along the way discovered in a nightclub a guy called Richard James. People might know him as the Aphex Twin. And this discovery, it happened to be our shared birthday, um, he was playing, not records, but tapes. We started chatting. He invited me to his house and in his bedroom, suspended from the ceiling, two speakers and a synthesizer had the lid off. And he told me that he'd basically extended the frequency range of the uh, synthesizer. So you can imagine the fun we were having there, you know, experimenting with infrasonics, watching speaker cones literally to kind of move one cycle a second. We were literally messing around with psychoacoustic experiments all the way back then. So yeah, discovering the Aphex Twin, got him his first record deal. He showed me how to make music in the studio. And from that point, I was hooked. Then randomly meeting another guy in Taunton when I was at design school, Mark Pritchard, who was playing music that I was into. Uh, we connected, found that we were into the same music and we started making music together. So I've had this sort of career as a kind of curious scientist mixed with a kind of an artist perspective. So we have released many, many albums. I've toured, performed to millions around the planet. And, you know, that journey has been really, really interesting. I've performed, I've watched and observed different cultures, 52 countries, all having these really interesting kind of experiences where they are responding physiologically and behaviorally to sound and music. So I guess I've been accruing this empirical evidence over the years. And then halfway through the touring, imagine bouncing between time zones such as LA to Sydney, Tokyo, back to the UK, and then back around to New York. You've completely messed up your circadian clock. I mean, literally, your, your poor body's going, what time of day or night is it? I have no idea. You get on the plane and they force feed you nine meals. So your whole body's metabolism is completely thrown. <laughs> you always seem to eat all of them, even if you don't want them. It's right. like I always get, I get excited by it. I'm like, oh. Yeah, and, an, and another meal. Oh, this <laughs> yeah. is my third lunch today. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so from that you know, trajectory, I noticed that my sleep was getting disrupted and I trained as a sleep science coach to understand my own sleep architecture if you get your sleep right, everything else works. If you get your sleep wrong, game over. So learning the art of sleeping and turning that into a sleep coaching side business, plus creating content as hard as a sound architect for Yotel. 
to soundscape the journey of guests through the building to their rooms and then help them to sleep. And so the trajectory of me doing what I do now seems to be quite natural. You know, I've toured as an artist. I got my sleep wrong, learned how to sleep better, then got hired to help other people sleep better in hotels. I'm at this point now where a year and a half ago, I thought, well, it's lockdown. I'm going to go and study this now. And so I enrolled in the same course that Afric's done. So I'm actually, you know, midway through my Music Mind Brain Masters at Goldsmiths and thoroughly enjoying it. It's looking at the theory behind what I've observed. And this is what's so exciting. My purpose is helping to solve human problems, looking at daily journeys that we all go through and where sound and music can fit into that. So it's healthy, functional, useful music designed with empathy and kindness. You know, we're all tired, stressed and burnt out. And we need help. So currently I create content for platforms like Calm, have some of the best performing sleep content on their platform. I create content for Breatheonics platform. And Breatheonics is essentially guided breath work synchronized to sound and music. So there you have it in a nutshell. That's that's why I'm interested in sound and, and music and well-being. <laughs> I was just thinking as Tom was speaking, it is interesting. Tom, you've had a, a long career of as you say yourself, collecting kind of empirical evidence of the power of music. And now you're studying it, whereas I kind of started with the academia and then moved into the world of the music industry. So it's interesting. We're both maybe on similar paths, but kind of have approached it from the opposite direction, which is really nice, actually, because I love to hear Tom speak about all of your amazing experience performing and really kind of seeing for yourself the power of music in that way. So that's always really interesting for me to hear. I guess just to kind of finish off the journey story for me, after I moved to London, I spent the year studying at Goldsmiths. During that year, I undertook a research project where I was looking at measuring how pregnancy affects the way women experience music, so the way women perceive music and sound. Interestingly, we were looking at levels of anxiety during pregnancy and sometimes low mood and how those factors can actually affect how people perceive music, which obviously was incredibly interesting for me and has since been published as a paper because we did find some really interesting results in pregnant women perceiving music and sound quite differently actually to non-pregnant women. So that was quite an interesting study. And after I graduated from Goldsmiths, I joined Massive Music and that was almost four years ago now. And for those who don't know, Massive Music is a global creative music agency We work with a lot of brands to help them use music and sound more effectively across a broad range of various different services, everything from sonic branding to bespoke music production for film and advertising. Uh, We also work with voice artists. And also, since I've joined, we have another string to our bow, which is what we call our Music and Mind initiative. And this is where I guess myself and Tom's paths have crossed along with some other members of our teams because our goal really is to move beyond just helping brands use music and sound more effectively on a branding and marketing level and actually kind of move beyond that into a space of helping brands use music to actually improve the lives of whether it be their employees or their consumers, which is a really interesting space, obviously, to be playing in. And it's something that I've been leading at Massive for the past few years. And I'm now very happy to be kind of working with Tom on as well. So we've been doing various different workshops with clients, but also this wasn't with Tom, unfortunately, but I recently worked on a project called Mindscape, which is the world's first voice activated anxiety tool. 
which is, yeah, pretty insane. We ended up on BBC World News talking about it, actually, which is quite mad. But yeah, it's basically, obviously, we're kind of moving into the realm of screenless devices now. A lot of people are buying Alexas and Google Home. And this voice app is actually a way to tune in to Alexa if you're feeling anxious. Have a quick conversation which assesses your mood and then feeds you a piece of music. And we composed all of the music for the voice app. So if you wake up at 4am, for example, you're having trouble falling back to sleep. We created a sleep track using, you know, scientifically proven compositional techniques to really help calm the heart rate, calm the breathing rate and help people fall back to sleep. We did a few other compositions as well. So yeah, that's kind of my story to the present moment, really. Brilliant. If anyone is listening and they want to find out more about the amazing work of Massive Music, there was a previous episode of the Audio Talks podcast, which was great fun, where we had Afric's colleague, Marine Rosamond, who joined us alongside the diva of the diode, Suzanne Chiani, who is a complete hero of mine. And that was a great chat about sonic branding. So hop into our archives if you want to update yourself on that. So we've heard about your backgrounds, your journey so far, the overlap between well-being and music and the amazing collaborative projects that you're working on together. But just, you know, turning our focus to like the past 12, 18 months, obviously the world has been in lockdown. You know, we've been through a real journey together. It hasn't been the easiest of journeys, but have you noticed that more people are turning to music over the lockdown and to help them with their well-being and indeed mental health? There's actually some great research around this. Harmon has done some, which is brilliant. To understand the power of music, it's great to ask people, you know, is it working for you? Is it helping you? And I think, you know, statistically speaking, it's abundantly clear that as a tool to help us through these times of stress and anxiety, music is magic because it binds us together, it connects us, it gives us sort of sense of grounding in familiarity and sort of use it in these ways. It makes me feel happy that, you know, we're on this sort of collective trajectory to kind of improve people's lives using this really, really powerful tool. The stats speak for themselves. Last year, consumption rose nearly 10% in 2020, 8.2%, there you go. And Things like the perceived benefits, 50% of the people in the 3,000 cohort study use music to raise their spirits. 42% use it to help them relax or sleep. 40% to alleviate boredom. 30% are using it for exercise and working. So you can sort of see there is this added functionality to music. And once we sort of flip the narrative to music for entertainment into music with purpose that's there to support and soundtrack a happier, healthier, more productive life. You can see why massive music, myself and other sort of leaders in this space are, if you like, evangelizing why it's so useful. Because if we're collectively as a species getting more stressed and anxious, we need as much help as possible to you know, downregulate that modality. What better than the beauty of putting on some music. The interesting bit starts when, I just refer back to Afric's brilliant case study. If you think about using the science of sound, the neuroscience, how we perceive music and how sound can trigger things within us. Think about our kind of musical DNA, if you want. You know, we've been exposed to sound and music literally when our ears were switched on in the womb. And Interestingly, it's the last sense to be switched off when you move on from this world. And, and I find that really quite fascinating that, you know, as a sense, it's, it's the one thing that's sort of always on. You just can't switch it off. You can put earplugs in, but it's always on. 
this sense that's typically used for giving us kind of orientation, you know, where are we in the world and is there any danger? We've It's kind of been hacked. Um, we could talk about something really interesting, which is soundscape ecology and the levels within the soundscape around us and why our well-being has been disrupted so radically. Well, since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, hmm. if you think that go to the countryside, okay, as far away from urban environments as possible, what you'll be hearing is geophony and biophony, which is the base layer of the soundscape around us. And it's within this lovely kind of realm of about 45 decibels of nature sound, elemental sound, water, air, and then biophony, which is the layer above that, which is creatures, birds, insects, that kind of thing. So that whole layer of soundscape, which prior to any machines being involved, was this sort of around you know, 35, 45 decibels, perhaps similar to maybe a library. Libraries are always peaceful, aren't they? So that's what we were used to. And then life just got turned up, like by 45 decibels. I mean, we're talking myocardial infarction levels of let's get things, you know, much louder. If you're exposed to anything above 85, 90 decibels for prolonged periods of time, you're just getting stressed. You're literally getting triggered. Your brain is kind of thinking there is a constant threat here, the noise. You're trying to filter out. Is there a saber-toothed tiger or a bear or a wolf about to eat me somewhere in the middle of London here? If you think about it, that's what's going on here. You know, we're tuned for danger. So if you're on hyper alert all the time, noisy people, noisy machines, relentless bombardment with signals from devices, we don't even stand a chance. <laughs> so that's where this sort of beautiful art of re-soundscaping life around us becomes ever more useful. So thinking how we're using it, there's loads of great apps that are coming through, putting the headphones on. You have that choice. Where am I going to go with my musical journey to support my well-being? Is it listening to a meditation? Is it listening to a soundscape? Is it listening to music? And the fact that statistically speaking, we are needing these solutions and people are using them and the music industry has noted this is really exciting. I think sound is about to have its moment. What do you think? No, absolutely, Tom. I think your point on the landscape and the auditory landscape that we're exposed to now versus, you know, 100 years ago or even 50 years ago is just astounding. I think for that reason, I, I was going to say I could talk for Ireland. That's such, a, such an Irish thing. <laughs> I could talk for Ireland about how, you know, how that's impacted our business in terms of sonic branding. But I think specifically around how it's impacted how people appreciate and are more aware of the value of music and that the power of music is become extremely apparent for us at Massive Music in terms of the clients we work with, the types of briefs that we're receiving, the knowledge that people have of sound and the power of sound, even in the last four years, has improved massively. How that translates to you know, general appreciation of the value of music is definitely been evident in the stats that you spoke about there, Tom, in terms of listening ship. I know that Spotify usage has gone up massively this year as well. Pretty much everybody you ask will say that they like music. It's pretty unusual to kind of dislike music. But I think what's changing is that people are maybe waking up to the use of it in a more functional manner, in a more considered way. So the way Tom is speaking about actually thinking about what am I listening to? You know, what's the playlist I'm going to choose? Does it match my mood? I've noticed even in myself this year, I found myself listening to being drawn to a lot more kind of low, soft, 
sometimes quite sad music. And I was kind of acutely aware of that. But I think there's a lot of research out there. There's a really interesting study, actually, which was published, I think, in 2016, that basically found that music actually can play the role of almost like an empathic friend. It's been found to play a really important role in helping people to cope. And I think actually it can be quite beneficial to tune into music that matches your mood. So for me, instead of trying to kind of like, if I'm feeling a bit down, trying to listen to something really upbeat and vibey, sometimes that works. But actually sometimes what's more valuable is choosing music that reflects your mood. And that can really help to act almost as an empathic friend or somebody who's actually kind of saying, yes, I understand how you're feeling and I can reflect that. And that really helps me. And I know it's been proven in research that that can be really beneficial to people as well. So I digress a little bit there, but I do think the media landscape that exists at the moment is just testament to how much people are appreciating music, listening to music and the way that they're listening and the way that they're tuning in. Amazing. That's so fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, it really does seem like, as you're both saying, a new era of appreciation of the profound human value of music is upon us. And, you know, noise cancelling headphones are absolutely your friend in this modern world to have that bubble of peace and tranquility. And I love your description of music as being the empathic friend for our many complicated and varied moods throughout life. And we do actually seem to be moving into a whole new era of openness when it actually comes to non-pharmaceutical remedies for certain conditions. And I noticed that Alzheimer's patients and hospital staff in the UK were recently prescribed music in an NHS trial, which I love. And we had BT Wolf on the podcast previously to talk about music and purpose, and she's done some great work around this as well. Have either of you seen any results in terms of the efficacy of music as an element or indeed a treatment that can contribute to people's well-being? Yeah, I think the link, especially when we think about illnesses like dementia and Alzheimer's, which are affecting a huge amount of people in the world, way more now today than ever before, really. And the power of music to improve the lives of people suffering with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia has been really widely researched and the research body kind of continues to grow. What's really interesting about the role that music can play in people who are suffering from Alzheimer's, dementia, who may have memory loss, is that actually the pathway of the brain that kind of computes music and music listening is one of the only pathways in the brain that is not affected by the loss of brain mass due to Alzheimer's and dementia, which is why you see, I don't know if you've seen, there's a few documentaries out there. There's one where they kind of follow the lives of a few people with Alzheimer's and they look to find music that they, especially music that they listened to when they were very young. Um, so it would have been in their long-term memory storage and they play that music for people who in some cases were so far progressed with their illness, they weren't even able to speak. Yet when they were played, music from their childhood completely lit up and had a moment of feeling themselves and that kind of regain of their identity for that moment. And that is because the pathway in the brain that music kind of travels through in order to be perceived is one of the only pathways that isn't affected by loss of brain mass with dementia. So yeah, definitely that body of research is a really exciting one. I'm hoping that it's something that continues to grow. We've actually done some work, Moraine, who was on this podcast before, and the team in Amsterdam have been working with an organization called AMSTA, and actually where we've been curating music playlists 
exactly for that reason for use in um, homes for the elderly. And we've been curating music playlists aimed to play that exact role, help people regain a sense of their identity, help people feel closer to themselves and maybe regain some memory loss. And we're actually starting to kind of measure the effects of that work now as well. So that's a really interesting project that we're currently working on at Massive. I'm getting uh, kind of goosebumps in the back of my neck hearing about these projects. It's very profound and moving, the fact that music has been used in this way. And Tom, have you come across anything on your travels or on your studies that kind of points to this value of music in a medical setting, if you like? 100%. I was privileged to work on one project with X-Health, a VR project that utilises various different immersive experiences, which obviously include music and sound, to support different types of therapies one of which is for breast cancer patients who are suffering from the side effects of chemotherapy, which is hot flashes. So I was tasked to create soundscape for a cold environment. So theoretically, the idea was that if you put the uh, VR headset on and you immerse yourself in this cold environment, you flip the sensation where you remodulate your perception of hot flashes and you become cold. And it's been through clinical trials, it works, which is incredible. You've enhanced this percept of looking at a cold landscape that's kind of 3D and moving, but with really cold sounding sound design. And so that was was a really exciting project to get into, to look at that. There's another project called the X System, led by a team, Professor Nigel Oddsborn, late Paul Robertson, Paul Ashcroft, Mike Waters and Justin Turner. And they've worked out um, this principle called uh, the innate neurophysiological response to music effect, which can predict and entrain physical and emotional response in humans. And typically for Alzheimer's and dementia, they've created an algorithm to do this. So this X system does exactly what Africa was talking about. So it, it looks at the right kinds of music specifically tuned to the second decade of your life. Your most kind of like powerful memories are compounded in that time if you think about some of your favorite music it's probably from your second decade i mean if i think about some of my favorite albums ever it's the second decade (laughs) the famous second decade (laughs) i think it's called a crystallization theory i could be getting that completely wrong but it's all around music taste and it's a really interesting study actually around um how your usually those that second decade of life tends to predict your um the, the kind of type of music that you're that you will end up you know uh loving or kind of always coming back to it doesn't always work out that way but i think there was a really interesting study and i think i could be completely wrong here but i think it mentioned something around a crystallization theory um during that decade so it's interesting yeah absolutely you can sort of think about the um the hormone cocktail that's going on at that point as well. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're very, very receptive, you're hyper receptive. You're building some, you know, foundational memories and emotional memories, if you like, with, you know, uh, things that happen at school, um, you know, first relationships, learning to drive, leaving home, going to university. And some really big stuff happens in that second decade. And you've got a soundtrack to that that's sort of deeply embedded with those kind of emotional some sometimes traumatic experiences um and so you know a system of music processing algorithmically that looks at particular eras and helps to sort of fine tune which of these will kind of um i suppose reopen those neural pathways in um, those that are suffering with dementia and alzheimer's to get them to react and respond and it's working and that's what's so beautiful about this 
there's another project that's um, well, two of the projects that, that, that I've, I've got on the, the table at the moment that integrate different aspects of functional music plus other senses that can literally flip your mood and mind state and even mitigate pain and analgesic audio analgesic effects is very very interesting when you sort of think about you're actually in pain but listening to these sets of frequencies and sounds can actually reduce that sensation of pain and you know a lot of people talk about the fact that obviously something can happen to you and you've interpreted that as pain but you can address that with um, various different kind of therapeutic practices or in this case obviously it's a a non-pharmacological intervention it's listening to music it's really interesting when you start thinking about something like music as an analgesic because that's something that is actively being explored in the realm of you know maybe people suffering with things like chronic illnesses or even things like cancer it can really help as an adjunct to other medications you know and it can really help maybe reduce the amount of pharmaceutical pain relief that you need to have and there's some really interesting studies as one by Sepeda et al from 2006 which kind of really looked at this in depth at how music can aid pain relief in that kind of medical context so yeah very interesting god this is so interesting Afric, staying with yourself you, you wrote about the value of music as a support to creative people in particular all kind of creatives and creative professionals tell us a bit about the creative mind and what creatives actually need to be mindful of in terms of mental health and what's the potential role of music in this picture Yes, I wrote an article a while back now on, I think it was kind of twofold. So I was looking at the very real issue of potentially quite poor mental health in a higher number of people in creative industries versus non-creative industries. And I wrote about, um, you know, that issue. And and I also wrote about the positive effect that creative endeavours can have. So it's kind of the whole blessing and curse paradigm. But there's a quite a lot of interesting research out there. And more has come out this year, of course, with COVID. There was a paper published by Ulster University and another one published by Help Musicians UK. And they found that people in, that work in creative industries generally can sometimes be three times more likely maybe to suffer from mental health issues or mental burnout. And obviously there's a variety of factors at play here. You know, it's usually a combination of environmental and physiological factors. We know that if you are somebody who works as a creative, whether you're a musician or an artist or a dancer or, you know, any type of creative job, specifically in a freelance capacity, maybe you're more likely to have less of a routine. You know, Tom spoke about this, a lot of travel, not being able to have a balanced circadian rhythm, a lot of up and coming artists who may have financial difficulties, especially this year. So there's a variety of kind of environmental factors. And then there are some interesting papers out there that cite physiological factors as well. So we know that creative people are more likely to experience emotion more intensely and also perceive emotion more intensely. So potentially be more empathic. And that in itself can also lead to people having a slightly higher propensity to suffer with things like anxiety, low mood. Um, So it's definitely an issue. And I can say that I'm very lucky to have kept my job this year, but there are a whole lot of people out there in the music industry and in the creative industry who I'm sure have really suffered this year. And so I think now more than ever, 
it's something that government and anybody who can help should be aware of. The article that I wrote also cited some potential things that you can do in terms of how you can use music more effectively to help improve your emotional well-being. Most of them I've mentioned already, but certain things like tuning into apps like Calm, which have Tom's fantastic music on there that can really help you tune in and meditate and help you sleep. Um, it's really important. I mean, for me, like, I tend to use music throughout my day. <laughs> in the morning time, obviously you need a certain amount of kind of adrenaline and cortisol to get you going. But actually, sometimes we have an overload of cortisol in the morning. You know, we have our alarm going off. We're straight away. We're on our phone, checking emails, checking LinkedIn, whatever we might need to be doing. And before we've even gotten out of bed, our cortisol has increased hugely and our heart rate's probably up. So what I like to do actually is try and keep the phone off for the first half an hour of the morning, put on whatever my favorite playlist is and maybe do some breathing, maybe do some stretching and just allow music to punctuate the day and soundtrack those moments. Just trying to keep the cortisol levels down, especially in the morning. Um, and then I use music throughout the day, whether that be to help me meditate. You know, there's a lot of amazing ambient music out there that can really help you tune into a meditative state. Uh, whether that be in the evening time, you know, there's a lot of great, as I said, sleep music out there as well. So yeah, there's lots of different ways that it can be used. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the work of uh, Help Musicians UK and we'll put a link to their website in the show notes for sure. Uh, and that was a fascinating article. And, and Tom, talk to us a bit about the kind of things that you would do on a daily basis that work for you in terms of being this balance between music and well-being. Okay, can I just bounce back just to to, to add on to what I've... Totally. Because <laughs> it's, it's really, it's amazing that, that there's so much kind of synergy in the stuff we're doing. So one of the other things that I did was I trained as a mental health first aider. And I, I have to say, I'd recommend it to anyone. It's the, the most insightful deep dive into who you really are. <laughs> if you want to say um, psychology, psychiatry, and um, psychotherapy at a, let's say, top level, so you get to understand all the typical kind of things that human beings are experiencing right now, the types of psychosis, and the sort of things that are kind of countermeasures, and how to listen non-judgmentally. So I did that training, and I'm also on the Association for Electronic Music Health Group along with Tamsin Embleton, who is a, a psychotherapist, and Dr. Ida Vazin, who is also a psychotherapist. And interestingly, when you're talking about the creative industry, Tamsin's written a book called The Turing Mental Health Manual. And I've written the sleep chapter for that. And obviously, sleep seems to feature quite highly in all of the people within creative industries have really poorly disrupted sleep. And you sort of think about bouncing through time zones, having to kind of always be on active and ready for action, you could be in media, it could be news. There always seems to be facets of our world in the creative industries where the normal clock doesn't seem to apply. And therefore, you've automatically disrupted your own circadian clock because you have to, to you know, pull a late shift or make sure that you've hit the deadline. So I think inherently, we're off to a bad start with our mental health and well-being just because these, these kind of industries demand so much more of our time outside of sort of typical hours and everything that you know to, to echo everything that africa was talking about in terms of the tools and tricks and hacks that you can employ to mitigate the possibility of exacerbating your mental illness actually because you know we talk about mental health but actually it's the, the difference between mental health and well-being and mental illness 
And everybody is suffering to varying degrees. This is the kind of the global take home if you think about it. Um, some of us in silence, some of us are helping to kind of normalize this and to start initiate conversations and particularly in the creative industries where you have high profile celebrities and known people that are kind of talking about their own challenges and i think what i've noticed in the last sort of two three years is we're talking about it um, we're talking about sleep more and we're talking about you know mental health we're part of mental health awareness month the number of initiatives right now that are tasked with supporting the planet to varying degrees with tools and tricks and what was really lovely this month was um, nature as a, a tool and a resource for helping support mental health. And so I've been creating soundscapes for Calm, which are spatialized and immersive. So if we think about the power of nature, and this kind of feeds back into soundscape ecology, exposing yourself to nature with some deep listening, where you do a silence reset, put your fingers in your ears, go for a walk into some green space, or blue space, which is anywhere with water, and slowly take your fingers out of your ears, you'll be you will have recalibrated your hearing perception at that point. And with your eyes closed, you can just tune into whatever it is that you hear first, and then mentally try and describe to yourself what that is. And you start this lovely process of being grounded and present in the moment, enjoying the wonder and awe and beauty of nature around you. You'll naturally start breathing more slowly and deeply. You're probably in a more oxygen-rich environment anyway. So the well-being benefits of what I call audio ecotherapy, which is this you know, immersion in nature, is profound. And so if you can't get out there, what I've done is I've created some of these 3D binaural experiences. So with headphones on, it's a kind of first-person experience. It's as if you're sitting in front of the ocean and you've got cicadas behind you or you're um, in the middle of a forest and you can hear a stream to the right and birds you know, up in, up in the canopy. That's the kind of thing that can really, really help you. So um, I think there's some brilliant studies at the moment around nature immersion. Have you heard of this Japanese term, shinrin-yoku, which is absolutely lovely? Forest bathing. Isn't that lovely? Oh, forest oh, bathing. That's nice, isn't it? Um, <laughs> or earthing and grounding where you shoes off, go for a walk in the, in the uh, anywhere where there's kind of earth <laughs> green we're so disconnected from the ground and from earth with these rubber sole things we have on our feet that we've forgotten how to connect so sound being vibration the planet is vibrating 7.8 hertz i think human resonance there's all these sort of tricks where you can kind of feed back into sound frequency and vibration being part of a kind of a holistic toolkit um so turn down life and then get out there in nature that's my suggestion amazing a really good point, Tom, just to build on that, that you're making. It's not just about turning on your Spotify or turning on, you know, whatever your streaming platform is and listening. Arguably, some of the most valuable <laughs> sounds that you can tune into are right outside your door, you know, as long as you're not living in the middle of, I don't know, Shoreditch or something. But even in Shoreditch, it's probably a park you can find. I think people sometimes maybe would laugh or, or think, that the use of bird song, for example, is kind of a stereotypical thing to hear if you, if you want to feel relaxed. But there is actually, again, quite a substantial body of research out there that does actually correlate the sound of nature with improved well-being, lowered heart rate, lowered uh, levels of anxiety. So whether it's tuning into one of Tom's soundscapes or whether it's tuning into something that 
you hear, you know, through Mindscape or any other app that kind of tune in or whether it's going outside and, and sitting in the park and closing your eyes. Yeah, tuning into the, the sounds of nature is a really effective way of helping to feel a bit more grounded, a bit more relaxed. Outstanding. I mean, I felt myself just relaxing, listening to you both talking about this restful listening experience. And uh, I'll get a date with nature in the diary. But until then, it's going to be my noise cancelling headphones and some of these great resources. And um, we will be putting some links in the show notes to some of the beautiful audio resources that Afric and Tom are describing there. Thank you so much for that. That's been great. That's like a toolkit for folks to get back in touch with their inner calmness, to leverage audio and music as a tool for their well-being. But I would love to find out a bit more about yourselves in terms of what's next for you. Uh, so Afrik, what's on your tour diary, so to speak? Uh, what kind of projects are you working on next? Oh, God. Um, I mean, it's, it's ever changing, <laughs> really. There's a lot going on, uh, which is great. It's a, it's a good problem to have. What's on my radar? Well, very excitingly, Myself and the Massive Music team are, are working quite closely with Tom at the moment. And um, we're really looking to kind of collaborate on helping brands really kind of understand this extra value in music beyond seeing it just as a branding or marketing tool. So, you know, I mentioned earlier on about our Music and Mind initiative at Massive Music. And this is something that we're really leaning into a lot more this year and we're working closely with Tom to develop a partnership and work with brands a lot more in that way to really help them understand the power of music to improve, you know, as I mentioned, yeah, whether that be employees or customers or even physical environments, we're really looking to kind of leverage the power of sound in that way. So that's kind of definitely top of my agenda at the moment. And there's a few projects that we're working on already. Unfortunately, people always say this, but we can't really speak about right now. But yeah, there's some really exciting stuff on the horizon for sure. Amazing. Watch this space. And uh, Tom, we just heard about your great collaboration with Massive Music coming up. I'm, I can't wait to listen to that and to see the results. What other bits and pieces might you be working on in the near future? Oh, all kinds of fun stuff. The word functional, you will see being used uh, as a kind of bolt-on to many things. Functional product X, functional this, functional that. So let's just say functional beverage, functional fragrance, products and services. Uh, functionality is, is the new genre, if you like. And, and in fact, there's a really interesting article on in the future, it's possible. We will no longer be seeking genres. It will be gone. It will be the mood and the purpose. So functionality will override genre. So I, I can see the way it's going in that um, regard. And so obviously the composers that, that are out there at the moment instinctively creating music to briefs around typically telling a story and um, emoting something, being evocative of the brand and the brand vision, values and, and uh, touch points. Yet actually the new level of this sound branding is this functionality. So whatever sector that brand is in, you can think, well, perhaps that brand might be looking at a different kind of outcome, a behavioral change, a new kind of ritual um, to, to deploy. And the addition of not just a job where you're creating a slight mnemonic, um, a little audio ID, but actually you've expanded to perhaps even a platform where the brand is creating content that supports their mission. So that's kind of the trajectory we're on. And um, I'm so happy to, to have met Afric and, and the team at Massive because, you know, uh, I've been 
I suppose sitting on my own out there in the <laughs> in the world going functional music it's going to be useful at some point um, and and you know, now the, the the phone's ringing off the hook which is a very nice place to be and i believe you have a new musical project in the works as well tell us a bit about that tom one of the hats i wear is the functional music and making you know useful stuff but i've literally just finished my new gcom album which is galactic communication so the project i was working on uh, in um, the early 90s with mark pritchard global communication which tracks without uh, titles was part of the, the story if you like you know, this album was created at a time when we were kind of quite naive we were just emoting in the studio and we invited people to tell us how they felt about the album and people started sending us letters about how it would help them to kind of conquer anxiety all kinds of stresses breakups soldier on maneuvers the idea that music was being utilized for you know mental health benefits has kind of been through all the way so <laughs> this year i've just finished uh, an, an epic kind of 10-year side project which is my new album galactic communication gcon so it's called e2xo and it's actually the story of where next for mankind considering what we've done to the planet is there a another earth is there an earth two is there a plan b yes so my other interest in cosmology and astronomy has led me to discover T-Garden Star, 12 light years away. T-Garden Star B is potentially habitable. It has the highest Earth similarity index of 9.5. So there you go. That's the other thing that's happening for me this year is an actual album of actual music. And it's not just fun, <laughs> it's just storytelling. <laughs> science fact and science fiction. Outstanding. <laughs> We've both been feeling like we're out on our own <laughs> for a few years, banging on this drum. So it's really great to meet a like-minded person and for Tom to kind of meet our team. And we're very, yeah, definitely very excited about collaborations in the future, for sure. Oh, fantastic. I'm so happy you've both met. This is just brilliant stuff. I'm so looking forward to music and audio being a more functional part of our lives and being used more for wellness, for medical purposes. And this has just been great. You're joining forces and the results, I think, are going to be profound and they're going to be profoundly useful and relevant and life-changing for a lot of people. So I cannot wait to see what happens next. Um, but we have now reached the part of the Audio Talks podcast where we ask our VIP guests to contribute a track to our title playlist. And uh, Afrik, I believe you have something in Massive called Massive Island Discs. So uh, tell us about that and maybe uh, choose a Massive Island Discs yourself that we're going to stick on the Audio Talks playlist. <laughs> yeah, we've started this thing called Massive Island Discs, which we do every Wednesday for the past few weeks. And somebody shares every week three tracks that they've chosen and they they share them with our team at Massive and explain why they've chosen them. And for a group of music fanatics, and I would say music experts, it has become <laughs> a very high-pressured event, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think everybody... <laughs> found it surprisingly difficult you know it's like we're sharing music and creating music for clients every day but actually you know kind of sharing our uh our most personal kind of music choices has become quite a high pressured thing for everyone but it's been very enjoyable the track that i have chosen in this context is a track that and i kind of wanted to choose something that i, I guess that was relevant to this this conversation of music for calm and, and music for well-being and i i found myself drawn to this track throughout most of 2020 and it is Juliana Barwick in spirit. I'm a big fan of Juliana Barwick and she released 
that album last year and the, the track in spirit is something that kind of come back to time and time again, probably daily, actually, just try and take a pause of of 10 minutes, blast that out and take a few deep breaths. And yeah, her music is incredible and it definitely brings a sense of calm to my day. So that is my choice. Great choice. She's got an amazing voice. I mean, it's, it's like listening to an angel. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> voice is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And, and her, um, you know, the, the way she kind of layers vocal harmonies as well, yeah, m- mind-blowing. If, no, if anyone out there has never listened to Juliana Barwick, you're, gonna, you're in for a treat. <laughs> you're in for a treat. 100%. It's a, it's a breathtaking piece of music. It really is jaw-dropping. And um, coming over to your good self, Tom, what would be your massive island disc to add to the Audio Talks playlist? Rewinding a bit. I was going to you know, throw a few out there, but the one that I suppose has always been top of my list and continues to deliver is Fantasia on a Theme by uh, Thomas Tallis. And this is Ralph Vaughan Williams. And what's interesting about this piece of classical music is it's for uh, an orchestra plus an extra string ensemble. So it's kind of like double the amount of strings. Now, when I describe this to people, for those that are kind of into sort of 90s music, think of Massive Attack Unfinished Sympathy take the beats out and then think of the, the frisson goosebumps effect of hearing those strings when they kind of drop in for the first time. This track is 17 minutes long, so you have to give it time, but it's literally the most dynamic piece of music I've ever heard. It goes from a kind of beautiful solo violin soaring into these epic, massive chords that literally make you know every hair in your body stand on end. And it brings me to tears every time as well. I think there's something about the, the particular key changes and chords. Um, and uh, if, yes, if you like Celtic sounds, as in chord progressions, I think you'd be feeling it as well. So, yeah, give it a try. Hope you get through to uh, seven minute 17 and uh, you might need a, a tissue to mop your eyes. i got to run and get my noise-cancelling headphones on immediately after we finish recording and listen to that. That sounds just amazing. Thank you both so much. And um, I'm going to add a track to the uh, playlist, which is Robert Fripp and Brian Eno, Evening Star, which is just one of my favourite tracks for relaxing to and has been since my second decade, which is quite a long time ago now. Um, so today we have approached the question and asked, is the world ready for medical grade music? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. So thank you so much to our empathetic friends for joining us here on Audio Talks presented by Harmon. Uh, talking for Ireland, we had Afrik Len. <laughs> And thank you, Afri. Thank you, Oshin. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you. And talking for the cosmos, we had Tom <laughs> Middleton. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you very much. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment, share, and generally get involved. We'll be back soon for some more fascinating audio talks. See you next time. <laughs>